as we gather, let's prepare our hearts for worship by hearing the words of this song.
good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion. We're glad that you're here, and we're glad um, for those of you who are joining online as well. Welcome. At this time, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 9. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. Amen. Feel free to stand and worship. So this time as we sing this song, we're going to start on the bridge. Um, and the, the lyrics of this particular song are really powerful. Um, in this really divisive time in this world, to sing a song or pray this song or whatever you feel comfortable with this morning, um, to sing these words and to say, show me how to love like you have loved me. What would it look like if all of us did that? To break our hearts for what breaks the Lord's hearts. So let this be our prayer today.
morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here again. And the ones that are in person, good morning. And the ones online, good morning to you also. It's a great day that the Lord had made. Let us rejoice in it. This morning, our, our prayer is going to start from Psalm 8. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemy to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Lord, you are absolutely amazing. You blow my mind every day. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the ability that you make it so it can rain, it can water our crops, it can water the inside of my soul at the same time. Lord, I thank you for then giving us the promise of the rainbow, that that rain will quit, and that, Lord, your glory is going to be shown in the heavens in many ways. Lord, and as we look to the heavens and we see your glory, we lay our hearts before you. All the things that have burdened us for so long, that have created a churning within our soul. Lord, right now, just give us time to see those and to voice those to you. Lord, now as we have unburdened our hearts, as we have cleansed out the inside of the work that we can do, Lord, now take that rain and let it rain down inside of us. Restore us to the wholeness that you've created us to be. Restore us to find the joy in your salvation. Restore us, Lord, to see the love you have for us. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Amen. One quick announcement, um, offerings, you can either do it online, instructions are all there, or there's baskets on the door as you exit. Kyle, I'm turning it over. Well, good morning. 
That's always the trickiest part. It's like playing operation on your face. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kyle, and uh, I'm excited to open the word up with you this morning. We are going to be reading all of, of Daniel chapter 3, at least getting through all of Daniel chapter 3. Um, but before we, we do that, I want to open up just a, a snippet of it to, to open our time here. So we're going to look at verses 28 and 29 of chapter 3 to open. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm uh, excited to, for our chance to open up the word together here this morning. Um, again, my name is Kyle. I'm, I'm glad to be here for a second week in a row with you, with my wife, Ashley, as well. Uh, if, if we hadn't had a chance to meet, just a little bit about us really quickly. Uh, my wife, Ashley, is a, is a physical therapist. Uh, I am uh, just finishing up five years at Calvin Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, and we're currently preparing to, to plant a church on the east side of the state next fall. Uh, and we are expecting our first child in March. So we are excited about all of the things that are coming up. And I'd love to talk more with you about those and about how your lives have gone, especially in such a, a crazy year as this has been. But for right now, I'm really excited about Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3 is probably, other than Daniel and the lion's den in chapter 6, this is probably the most well-known part of Daniel, the story of the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as I knew it for most of my childhood, Rakshak and Benny. <laughs> That's a VeggieTales reference if you uh, didn't catch that. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. If you have them, if you don't, they will be up on the screen as well. We'll start in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. That's about 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. And all of those people came. They came before this giant statue that had been set up. And then down in verse 4, the herald then loudly proclaimed... Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace." And right off the bat here in this first section of our story, we see that the, the sinful and broken world will tempt God's people into idolatry under threat of suffering. Now, we have to remember as we hear this story, we hear a, a statue has been set up by the king. He's asked everybody to worship it and threatened that if they do not, they will be thrown into a furnace. And we have to remember that for most of the people in the Babylonian empire, the most of the, the, the non-Jewish people, uh, this 
would have been a fairly uneventful request because most of the people in the ancient Near East were polytheistic, right? They believed in multiple gods. And so adding a new God to their pantheon would not have been earth shattering. But for the Jewish people, there's more going on here. And, and of course, there's more going on here for Nebuchadnezzar as well. This isn't really just about religion for, for the king, right? This is about power. This is about control over his people. It's about glorifying himself and putting himself at the center of the universe. And for the Jewish people, this puts them at a, in, a, in a difficult spot because the Jews had a God that not only deserved their worship, but demanded that he alone be worshiped, right? We, we go right back to the 10 commandments, put no other gods before me. You shall have no other God. Make for yourself no graven images, no idols to worship, whether it be giant golden statues or small golden calves. There's no place for this for the Jewish people. So when Nebuchadnezzar commands the people to, to bow down and worship this golden statue, it might be easy enough for others to comply, but the Jewish people are now faced with a massive compromise, both to their, their faith, but also to their identity as the people of God. This amounts for the Jewish people to treason, to their true king. And it's textbook idolatry, worshiping something that is not God in place of God, right? Now, the question is obvious to us, I think, is how does this, okay, how does this play out in our lives? It, and it, it doesn't happen quite as blatantly for us, right? Nobody is asking us to, to uh, bow down in front, in front of a statue and threatening us with, with death in a furnace if we don't. But other forms of idolatry are just as much of a threat because idolatry happens as soon as we allow anything to take center stage in our life. When God is no longer the primary object of our affections, no longer the primary motivation for our actions, no longer the primary focus of our attention. And there's a lot of ways this happens. Right? I mean, frankly, we're pretty good at doing this just ourselves, just at, at creating idols internally. But sometimes there are external forces that are calling us to idolatry. I think a lot about this with politics recently. And because I'm a guest preacher, I can say that and not worry about it. No, I, both political parties, I think, will tell you, you need to support us. You need to send us money. You need to spend all your time thinking about the particular issues that we are worried about, you need to give us all of your allegiance. And there's always kind of an implied threat, isn't there? If you don't, then your cities will burn or all of democracy will collapse. There's always some sort of implied threat of suffering. Now, don't get me wrong, being politically active or politically passionate is not necessarily idolatry. In fact, it, it's, it's something that we, we probably should be politically active and sometimes passionate. But, but do you see how, how easily that those passions can slide into idolatry? When knowing the latest news from our preferred news source becomes more important than hearing from the word of God. I mean, I have to admit, as I'm this week, I found it very difficult to spend time preparing this sermon because I just wanted to know what was happening. When convincing somebody of our political opinions becomes more important than having a, a serious conversation about 
their physical and mental and spiritual health during a trying time. And friends, not, not only is it you know, immoral to, to worship false gods, but it is dangerous because those things are by definition false. They cannot provide the ultimate safety and security and solutions that they claim to. We talked about this last week when it comes to the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. We make idols of politics, but politics won't fix this world ultimately. We make idols of money, but money won't solve our anxiety or insecurity. We make even idols of our children or of our spouses, but ultimately they won't satisfy the desires of our souls for affection and love and affirmation. Just as worshiping Nebuchadnezzar's idol would have been just a, a temporary protection for, for the Jewish people against one kind of physical suffering. So for us, worshiping idols here in this world will just provide temporary flawed satisfaction. But despite, despite that truth, we live in a world that is going to persistently and doggedly flood us with the temptation of other idols accompanied by threats of suffering. So how do God's people respond with faithfulness in this world? That's the question. And so we're going to continue in our story to see the answer. We're going to go down to verse 12. But there are some Jews, they've been, they've been uh, accused now uh, from uh, some of the other advisors in the, in the uh, capital. They've come before the king and they are accusing the Jews. They say, there are some Jews whom you, the king, have set up over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? You see right there, how again, how Nebuchadnezzar, this is really just about him. You, you, you do not serve my gods. You do not worship the image I have set up. Anyway. Verse 15, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend yourselves, ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I think we see the response of the faithful people in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here in two forms. God's people can face the threat of suffering with faithfulness because they trust in his promises, number one. And number two, they value his glory. So let's look at, at both of those two things. First thing, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they realize something fundamental. That no matter how dogged and persistent this world seems to rain down threats and suffering onto God's people, God is just as dogged, just as persistent, just as relentless 
to deliver his people. He is the God who saves. That's his identity. It was his identity from the very beginning for the Jewish people as the Israelites were rescued out of Egypt. The Israelites are defined by the fact that their God saves. The same God who saved Moses, who saved the Israelites from Egypt, who saved David countless times, the same God who raised Christ from the dead, he has promised to save you and me too. Just as he has preserved his people for 2,000 years since the church was instituted, he will save us again. And knowing that he has promised to do that is what allows us to face suffering with faithfulness. Because no matter how persistent the suffering is here in this world, it can't match the persistence of God to deliver his people. So that's number one. If, if we are going to be faithful, we must trust in his promise to save. But second is we must value his glory. That is to say, we must see God as being worthy of our worship, of our time, of our affections. See, that's why the, the three men, they, they tell the king, even if our God doesn't save us, it, it doesn't matter. We're not worshiping your God because this statue isn't worthy of our worship. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how much gold it's made out of. It's not truly, ultimately valuable and worth our worship. Your idols, King Nebuchadnezzar, can't touch the glory of God. Now this reminds me of uh, dog training because we're getting a puppy and all I can think about is dog training right now. We've been watching a, a lot of, well, not we, I've been watching a lot of puppy training videos because I lead a very exciting life. And one of the things that they will tell you about, about puppies is when you're trying to keep them from chewing, you, you can't just tell them not to chew your stuff. Like you just can't just tell them no because puppies are made to chew. That's just, that's this part of who they are. They're teething. They, they have to chew. And so you can't just tell them, no, you have to redirect their chewing onto something that they're supposed to chew, right? You have to provide them with chew toys that are appealing. You have to make those chew toys seem great and wonderful and more appealing than your shoe. If you don't give them those toys and you don't help them see how, how good and tasty and wonderful those toys are, they're still going to chew. They're just going to chew the wrong thing. And friends, we were made to worship. It's what we were made to do. It's a natural part of who we are as human beings. And if we don't see God as, as the ultimate object of our affections, if we don't see him as, as lovely and great and powerful and mighty and worthy of our worship, then something else will fill that gap. So the smaller our God is, the less we see him as valuable and worthy the easier it will be for us to succumb to idolatry. But if we, if we love him, if we treasure him, if we see him as worthy and valuable, then we will be willing to suffer for his sake because nothing else could compare to worshiping the God who is worthy of our worship. So, so let us pray that God would expand our vision of him. 
that he would help us to understand his glory more and more, that we would not be tempted by the small, flimsy, poor replications in this world. But let's, let's move on and finish up our, our chapter for today. So the, uh, the king uh, has, has uh, these men have defied the king. They, they have been now bound. He has had men bind them and he has had them tossed into the fiery furnace. And verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't, weren't there three men who we tied up and, and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into rubble. For no other God can save in this way. And once again, at the end of this story, God's servants are promoted in the Babylonian empire. Okay, so two things before I let you go this morning. The first thing is that what's really interesting here is that being saved from the fire is not the same thing as being kept from suffering, okay? So think, think about these, these three men and, and what has happened in this story. Imagine the mental and emotional stress that these three men have been going through. They were forced to make this incredibly difficult decision and balancing their faith with their, their lives. They were singled out in front of all of the, the advisors in the kingdom, accused in front of all of the royal subjects. They've been threatened by the most powerful man in the world, being bound. They've been carried into a burning inferno and they were thrown in. I mean, presumably... If God just wanted to keep them from suffering, keep them from painful circumstances, he could have done that. He could have just kept them from being in the situation altogether. He could have kept the statue from being built. He could have blinded the eyes of the other advisors so they were never brought before the king. He could have, kept, he could have softened the heart of the king and let them go free. God could have kept them from suffering altogether, but he didn't. He allowed them to be thrown into the furnace. And then he came down into the furnace too. See, God, God does not promise 
to keep us from ever suffering. That's why if you look in the New Testament, there are countless times where the apostles talk to the church about what to do when they are in suffering. Because God does not promise that we will be kept from suffering circumstances. But he does promise to be with us in the midst of the flames. And he does promise to save us from ultimately being burned. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't saved from the shame of being singled out. They weren't saved from the fear of risking their lives. They weren't saved from having to make these impossible choices and these impossible circumstances. But they were saved from being burned. And friends, what's really incredible about this, and, and this, this is the second thing, is that as much as we would like to put ourselves in the shoes of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're really more often like Nebuchadnezzar. And we deserve the furnace. Because we are the ones who build the statues of gold who put ourselves at the center of the universe and demand that the people around us worship us. We are the ones who make idols out of our own comfort, out of our own pride, out of our prestige, and out of our own power and control. And as much as we want to imagine that the threats that we're going to face are all out there, that, that we'll have to stand up to a dictator, the reality is most of the time our Nebuchadnezzars are just in here. There's a Nebuchadnezzar on the throne of every sinful human heart. And he wants us, wants to put us at the center, wants our self-worship to take priority over our worship of the one true God. And every single day, we're called to resist that Nebuchadnezzar and put God on the throne, and yet we fail to do so. We are, are not... <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We, we don't live up to the example that they set in this story. They were innocent victims of a, of a tyrant king, but we have offended a perfectly holy God, a king who is actually worthy of our worship, a king who loves his people, who is beautiful and glorious, and yet a king who is ignored and tossed to the side. But there is one who has actually lived in perfect obedience and worship and faith. One who actually worshiped and honored God as he was meant to be. The son of God, Christ. Jesus who was sent down to this earth to do just that. To resist the idols of the human heart. The idols of this world. To enter into the brokenness and into the suffering and into the flames. And to overcome the world. And ultimately, to be lifted up on a cross and to have the wrath of God poured out on him. Jesus, he didn't just descend into the furnace beside us. He descended into the furnace in our place. Friends, we're not saved from the furnace because we're faithful. We get to be faithful because we have already been saved from the furnace. We can risk suffering today 
resisting the threats, both of, of external forces, but also uh, the internal lies that we tell ourselves because of that truth. We know that Jesus has saved us from the furnace, and if he's saved us from the furnace, then we can endure any temporary suffering of difficult circumstances. And make no mistake, we will suffer. The, the enemy will threaten you with discomfort, with losing influence, with, with losing control, feeling pain. He will surround us with, with uncertainty and, and promise that if we just put ourselves at the center, then things will be okay. We will regain control. We will regain influence. But in that very moment, friends, it is Jesus, the one who descended into the furnace, who will lift you up who will give you the strength to persevere, who will be with you if suffering follows, and who will ensure that ultimately you will not be burned. In Christ, that is our greatest promise. Emmanuel, God with us. Friends, he is so worthy of our worship. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, you are worthy. You are worthy to be praised, not only because you are our creator God, because you are glorious and beautiful, because you are the king of kings, Lord, but because you entered into the furnace. And as we go throughout our week, throughout our days, throughout this year that seems to be years upon years, Lord, you have promised that you will be beside us You've promised you will be with us in the flames and you have promised that we will not be burnt because you have taken that upon yourself. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to keep that truth at the forefront of our minds this week. That as temptations come and as suffering rolls upon us, Lord, we hold fast to your promise that we will not be burnt. That suffering may come, but that there is one who has overcome. And he is on our side. We love you. And in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship.
now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Please exit out those doors in a socially distanced fashion. Thank you.